Northridge. How are you guys? It's so good uh, to be here with you. My name is Pete. I'm one of the pastors here at Northridge, and uh, today we're going to be wrapping up uh, the series we've been in called The Way. But before we get to that, I am so excited to tell you guys that Pastor Brad will be back next weekend. Yes. And man, he's got a lot of gas in the tank, and he is fired up. And uh, this study break, I know, has been really good for him and important for him, and I just can't wait to hear about all that God's been doing in his mind and his heart, and uh, so make sure that you're here next week, and you're not going to want to miss that, but today we are wrapping up this series called The Way, and we've been in this series where we've been talking about, uh, and, and maybe you don't know this, but the earliest followers of Jesus, before they even had like the term Christians, they were called followers of The Way. And so we've been looking at these early followers. We started in week one, which was a couple weeks ago, talking about this invitation to follow Jesus. And Jesus would just go to people and say, hey, follow me. And uh, people would follow him. We said that this invitation to follow Jesus is for everyone. Like regardless of what doubts you might have about who Jesus is, you're invited to follow him. Uh, Regardless of what might be going on in your life, circumstantially, you're invited to follow him. Like, you're invited. Everyone's invited to follow him. And we talked about part of being a follower of Jesus, part of being a part of this movement called the way was the way that they interacted with each other. And we talked about how in scripture calls those of us who follow Jesus to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's kind of our job. We're to spur one another on. In other words, we're to put ourselves in environments where we can spur and we can also be spurred. It's an important part of our transformation. And then last week, Steve was here. He did a brilliant message. If you weren't here, you need to go online and listen to it. But he talked about, uh, took the whole spur one another a little bit further. And he talked about all the different one another's that show up throughout the New Testament. There's dozens of times in the New Testament where there's a, um, a command, a principle around this idea of one another. And he said the church should be the environment where we are best at one anothering one another. And he talked about how our strength comes in community with our interconnectedness. And remember, he talked about the redwoods and how their roots have this system that are all connected together. And that's when we're at our best, when we're connected. And we're going to wrap this up today. And I want to start with actually exactly where we started a couple weeks ago was this text in Matthew chapter 9. And I just looked at verse 9 a couple weeks ago. And I don't know why I didn't keep going, but there's a couple more verses that I think are really important to kind of take in on the story. But it's Matthew chapter 9, and it just says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. We talked extensively a couple weeks ago about tax collectors and how they were viewed and all the different reasons that the Jewish people couldn't stand the tax collectors, right? But then it goes on, it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, I love that, like, it's two different categories. Like, even the sinners are like, don't put us in the category of tax collectors. <laughs> yes, we are sinners, but they are a different level of sinner, all right? So give them their own category, all right? The tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, again, this is interesting to me because this is what Jesus would do. He would go to someone like a Matthew who's a tax collector. He's hated among the Jews. He's viewed as a traitor. He's viewed as a liar. He's viewed as a a cheater. He's viewed as greedy. And he says, Matthew, 
I want you to follow me. I want you to be a part of this community. And you have to imagine that the other followers of Jesus, the other disciples are like, Jesus, are you, you sure about this? Like that's Matthew. He's a tax collector. He's greedy. He's a liar. He's a cheater. Like Jesus, are you not at least a little bit concerned about your reputation? Are you not worried about what people are going to say when they see him with us? Like, are you not worried about like the rumors that are going to get started? Are you not worried about what they might blog about this? Like, are, are you not at all concerned what people on Twitter are going to say about you? Like, Jesus, this is, the optics on this don't look good. And Jesus is like, I got this. Not worried about it. And oh, by the way, guys, it's actually worse than you thought. I need you to go get cleaned up. We're going to his house for dinner. And they're like, what? Like, what? You got to be kidding. And like, Jesus going to his house for dinner is, is more of a formal statement than going to somebody's house for dinner these days, where it's kind of a casual thing. This was a statement of we're in community together. And Jesus goes and he shows up. And it's interesting to me because it seems to me as you look to the Gospels, Jesus was very comfortable with people that were nothing like him. Nothing like him. We've said this before, but people that were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. There's just something about this guy. And Jesus was very comfortable with creating community that had tension. Right, where people were very different and he would kind of put them in community together. He valued that. He thought that there's purpose behind that. It was very strategic. I find this interesting because we live in a culture right now that is unbelievably fractured. Right? We are fractured politically, we're fractured racially, we're fractured economically. We are fractured on honestly some really important issues like gun control. Right? We're fractured when it comes to the death penalty, environment, immigration, religion. I mean, we could just go down the list of all the different ways that we're fractured. And it seems to me like the, the, the gap on these issues that we're divided on continues to grow. And there's a tremendous amount of angst these days, right? And then on top of that, we live in a culture that actually provides you the ability to really silo yourself and surround yourself. And, and to be honest with you, this isn't new to our culture or our environment or our generation. This has always been a temptation for humankind to surround yourself with people who think like you and look like you and believe like you and behave like you and vote like you. Right? That's always been a temptation. But our society does provide you easier opportunities to silo yourself. So it's possible now you can actually find a news network that will completely support your ideology. It's possible for you to go on Facebook and find a group where you can isolate yourself with people who just think like you and act like you and vote like you and believe like you. And I'm, listen, that, that's fine. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying any of that is wrong. All I'm saying is that we can't ignore the fact that Jesus intentionally created community with tension. And he thought that there was real purpose to it. He would go to people like, uh, there's a guy named Simon, one of the 12 disciples. We know from scripture, Simon was a zealot. Uh, the zealots uh, were um, Jews that hated the Roman government. Almost everybody disliked the Roman government, but 
they were open to violence, and they actually thought violence was the way to overturn. So they're into violence, they're into terrorism, they're into whatever it takes to overthrow the Roman government. So he would go to someone like Simon, the zealot, and say, Simon, come here. I want you to be a part of this community. And oh, by the way, there's Matthew. Matthew, he's the very opposite of a zealot. He's a tax collector, which means he doesn't want violence against the Roman government. He's getting paid by the Roman government. He's collaborating with the Roman government. So he's like, Matthew, come here. I want you to be a part of this community too. Oh, this is going to be fun. Simon, meet Matthew. Matthew, meet Simon. You guys can room together. It's going to be fun. You're going to have some great conversations. He goes to a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Right? Nicodemus was all about the rules and regulations and living your life completely above board with all kinds of purity. Dot every I, cross every T. Every no appearance of evil whatsoever. Stay away from anything that's unclean. And then he goes to the woman at the well who's done everything but follow all the rules. And he's like, Nicodemus, meet the woman at the well. Woman at the well, this is Nicodemus. You guys can't room together, but you're going to have some fascinating conversations about life. And he's just strategically going through his life and his ministry, picking all of these different people from different backgrounds, different belief systems, different ideologies, and he's putting them in this community, this community that had tension. And he does it very purposefully. And so I want to talk just for a second about this whole blueprint of what Jesus does with community, because I think Jesus had three prevailing thoughts when it came to assembling community. And I think that these three prevailing thoughts are so important for our church to get and understand and live out, maybe now more than ever before. It's so important, I believe, in our culture that we really get these, these three markers or these three kind of larger thoughts about community that Jesus had. The first one was this. In Jesus' community, everybody was welcome. Everybody. That's the thing. You can't deny it. Look through the Gospels. Jesus would, you know, it didn't matter if uh, you were Jewish or whether you were Gentile, whether you were a Pharisee, whether you were a zealot, whether you were a leper. It did not matter. Everyone was welcome. And I think early on, to be honest with you, Jesus' followers, the people who are part of this movement called The Way, I don't think they got it. In fact, I think the disciples, you know, this whole event went down with Matthew where they go to Matthew's house. I think they were embarrassed. They were caught off guard. They didn't understand the strategy behind this. They didn't understand the heart of Jesus because you have to understand that there had never been a community like this before where anybody from any tribe, any background, any belief system any ideology could all of a sudden be a part of the same community. Nothing like this had ever existed. And so I think at first they were embarrassed, they were taken back, but what happened is there's a transformation over those years so that by the time the early church launched, this group of followers, these people that were part of the way, they got it. And the early church was something that the world had never seen before. Never before had there been a community where anybody and everybody who wanted to be could be a part of that. Now, be careful here because I, I'm not saying everyone's welcome means that everything is approved. I believe that for a community to be true and loving, it has to be a community that balances both grace and truth. 
It's a, that's essential, right? You also have to understand as human beings that we all err on this. Nobody balances grace and truth perfectly except for Jesus, which means every one of us, we either err a little more towards grace or we're going to err a little bit more towards truth, right? You, you could probably tell me right now which side you tend to lean more towards. You could also tell me which way the person next to you probably leans, whether it's more towards grace or more towards truth. But none of us get this exactly right. John 8's a great example where Jesus just completely fulfills this. Um, it's where the woman was caught in adultery. Remember this story? And uh, they want to stone the woman. And Jesus shows up and he says, all right, uh, whoever's without sin, you cast the first stone. Anybody? Anybody? Like, and they all kind of scatter. And he turns to the woman and he says, is there no one here to condemn you? She says, no one, sir. He said, well, neither do I. Like the one person who had the right to condemn her chooses not to. Right? That's the grace part. And then he turns to her and he says, go and sin no more. See, it's grace and it's truth. He leads with the grace, though, which is really important because I think a lot of times as a church, we get that reversed and we want to lead with the truth. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Right? He leads with the grace and then he, the, you're loved, you're accepted for who you are. And then he says, just go and sin no more. In other words, he says, you know what? I think you were made for more. And I think the way you're living your life right now is crushing your soul. And so I'm going to love you either way, but man, you're made for more. Go and live the life I created you for. It's grace and it's truth. But what you have to understand is what Jesus was doing all the way throughout Scripture is he's creating this community that had never existed before where everyone was welcome, right? It is this community where there's no room for judging, and there's no room for excluding. And there's no room for turning your back on other people. There's no room for labeling people to you're not normal and you're not healthy and, and uh, you're not spiritual. But the implication is, but I am. Right? There's no room for that in this community of Jesus because he puts a stake in the ground and he says, everyone is welcome. Everyone. This week I was uh, flipping through Instagram and I mean, most of the stuff you see on there is junk, but I saw this. I thought it was great. It says why you should be gentle with people. And it says someone's life and then what you know about it. About that much. What you know about the people that you judge and you exclude and you like to make comments about and tell stories about what you actually know about their life. <laughs> Little itty bitty bitty piece, Right? Jesus forms this community where we're gentle with one another, where everyone is welcome. And I don't know, Northridge, do you believe that there could once again be a community of people that were so relentlessly loving that people who never, ever thought they would ever come through the doors of a church, people who had completely given up on God because of the way they had watched the way other people whose claim to follow Jesus had treated them. Do you think there could be a community so relentlessly loving that people who never imagined that they'd be in the same room with people who are just different from them racially and ethnically and culturally and economically and morally and sexually could find a community where they felt like it was safe enough for them to begin to explore a relationship with Jesus? Do you think that could happen again? Do you think that this could be that kind of church that could create that kind of environment where people 
who had given up on this could begin to understand and discover the love of Jesus. Do you think that could happen? I do. I really do. And I think it can happen in this place. And I believe it's already started happening in this place. And I wouldn't be here investing time if I didn't think that. I love this church and I love the heart of this church and I love the heart of Pastor Brad and the vision that he's laid out for us in these 16 words. And I believe that's what this place wants to be about. And it's not easy. And trust me, this community that Jesus started to form, it was messy and it was difficult. It had tension. But some amazing things started to happen because everyone was welcome. And let me tell you the second part of Jesus' community, and it was this. Nobody was perfect. That's exactly why everyone was welcome, right? Everyone was welcome because they realized that nobody was perfect. Now, we throw that phrase around all the time these days, right? Nobody's perfect. Oh, I get it. Nobody's perfect. Like, it's kind of like this excuse. But you have to understand that this idea, this concept that nobody's perfect, it is central to authentic community. It's central to transformational community. You have to have this element of understanding that nobody's perfect. And man, I dream of being a part of a church where there's no games and there's no hiding and there's no false pretense. There's no reputation building because we get it. We understand. We're just all sinners, right? That have been saved by the grace of God. That's it. Nobody is perfect. You know, the starting point for being a follower of Jesus, the whole starting point of, of being a part of the way is not where a lot of people think it is. I think a lot of people think that um, your journey in following Jesus starts with, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to forgive more. I'm going to give more. But the reality is, it starts in a much more simple way, but also a much more humbling way. It starts with a simple confession of I'm a mess and I need God. That's it. That's it. I'm a mess and I need God. It's, it, it's why this is so humbling is because essentially you're confessing, I don't have control. I don't know if you've ever been to an AA group before, um, but for me, it's, it's one of the most beautiful things that you'll ever see every single time. It's like, uh, it's, it's such a diverse group of people that are often sitting in this room, whether it's a basement of a church or YMCA or some community center. We're just sitting around and often in, in a circle and... Um, just people from all different walks of life. And if you just walk into this room as a stranger, what you would do is look around and say, what in the world do all of these people have in common? Because <laughs> it just looks so different. Um, there's a book called The Big Book. If you've been through recovery, you know about this. This is a quote from chapter two. It says, we are people who normally would not mix. And again, if you ever go to an AA group, you'll be like, no, duh. Like, we are people who normally would not mix, but there exists among us a fellowship. There's a friendliness. There's an understanding, which is indescribably wonderful. We are like passengers of a great liner the moment after rescue from shipwreck. Now, think about this picture, because I love the, 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 the image that goes along with this. You imagine being a part of like some big cruise ship 
that all of a sudden it's like Titanic type moment. It's sinking and everybody starts to feel like it's lights out. It's over. And then all of a sudden there's another boat that comes along that's rescue and everybody starts to kind of jump in these little boats. And in that moment when they're sitting in that boat, there's no longer first class or second class, right? It's just all the same. Everybody in that boat is just grateful. Why? Because everybody in that boat has been rescued and they know it. And so what happens that's so beautiful often in an AA group, and when you look around this room, there is no black and white. There's no uh, rich person and poor person. There's no like blue collar and white collar. There's no, ooh, they have it together and they don't have it together because everybody in that room knows they're in the process of being rescued. Everybody in that room knows they are a mess. And they need God. And I just, man, I, I believe that's what the church should look like. I believe when we come in here, all the different classifications that might exist outside of here and out in the world should instantly disappear because from the moment we walk in here and really every moment of every day, we should have a humility that we're a mess. And then we need God. And there's no difference between me and you. There's no levels right? There's no colors. There's no different classes. Like we are a mess and we need God. And that's, that's exactly what the early church looked like. Galatians chapter three says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Why? Because they were a mess and they knew that they desperately needed Jesus. We are a group that may not normally mix but we're a mess and we need God. And that humility comes from just a simple confession. First John one says, if we claim to be without sin, let me stop right there because the, I, I probably couldn't find a single person here who would even try to tell me that they are without sin. So we kind of get that. Nobody's going to claim to be without sin. I think the problem often comes for us in the church and that we want to start classifying sin and we want to say the sin I struggle with is a lot more normal than the sin that you struggle with, right? So if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We are a group that would not normally mix, but there exists among us a friendship, a fellowship. Why? Because we understand we've been rescued. We understand that we are a mess and we desperately need God. See, Jesus is creating this community where everyone's welcome and everyone is welcome because they understood that nobody was perfect. But do you know what really set this community apart from any community that had ever existed? It wasn't just that everyone's welcome and that nobody's perfect. It was a third part of this community that Jesus knew to the depth of his being. And that was this. He knew anything was possible. Everyone was welcome because nobody was perfect, but anything is possible. You never know. You never know. When someone becomes a part of a Jesus community, Right? And he gets in their heart and the Holy Spirit is in their lives. You never know the kind of transformation that can happen. You never know 
the against all odds turnaround stories that come when you're a part of a community where everyone's welcome because nobody's perfect, but you understand and believe that through the power of Jesus, anything is possible. So you can't tell it yet in this story I was just showing you about Matthew because it's just the beginning. But trust me, there's transformation happening in Matthew's life. Yep, in this moment, he's still greedy. He's still a traitor. He's still a liar. He's still a deceiver. But something was starting to happen. Something was starting to bubble up inside of him. And the more days and weeks and months and years that he spent with Jesus, this transformation started to change. And the grace of Jesus and the truth of Jesus and the overwhelming acceptance and love of Jesus started to transform his life. And several years later, man, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. But it started with him just being welcomed, him just, just being a part. How many of you um, have ever eaten at a Waffle House before? Raise your hand. Confession time, all right? Um, yeah, so this is a Waffle House. Um, it, a lot of you didn't raise your hands, and that, that's okay. I, I, I'm struggling right now to like, identify with how I can even explain to you the Waffle House experience. Um, but like, picture a gas station bathroom that serves breakfast 24-7. Am I close? Right? I mean, that's, that, that's kind of the Waffle House experience. It's, it's a high kind of uh, risk-reward situation, <laughs> if you will. So I, I'm originally from Nashville, and in the South, we have Waffle Houses everywhere. Like every corner, there's the Lord's House, and then there's the Waffle House. <laughs> they're, they're all over. Um, you guys don't have any in Michigan. In fact, here's a map of all of the... I keep this handy. Um, this a, a map of all the different Waffle Houses around the country. They're in 25 states, but they're not in Michigan. In fact, the closest one to where we are now would be Toledo, Ohio, which makes a lot of sense, right? <laughs> you know. Um, sorry, I, it's, it, it does. Um, uh, in Metro Atlanta, there's 132 Waffle Houses. So when I say like every corner, I'm serious about this. Like they are everywhere. And Waffle House is not just for rednecks. Other people go to Waffle House too. Um, Kanye and Kim go to Waffle House. Kanye looks like he needs a buttery waffle right there and <laughs> turn that frown upside down. Uh, Justin Bieber he goes to the Waffle House, all right? So, like, lots of people, you know, go to the Waffle House. Again, it's not for everyone, though. You have to understand, like, if you're looking for blueberries and avocado toast, this is not your place. Heck, if you're looking for clean silverware, this is not your place. It's not. Um, but if you're, like, up for the all-star breakfast, which is, like, 12 scrambled eggs, 14 pieces of sausage, 16 pieces of bacon, 52 pieces of toast, three Cokes, and like two glasses of orange juice for $3.99. <laughs> then this is your place, all right? Um, 
I actually got a little nervous that so many of you guys were like familiar with Waffle House. Like their unofficial slogan is, it's 2 a.m., you've got plenty of time for one more regret, all right? So it, it concerns me. But here's some interesting facts about Waffle House. If you took all the bacon that they serve in a year, in the end, it will wrap all the way around the equator. That is 25,000 miles of bacon every year. It gets better. If you could stack all the sausage patties that Waffle House serves in one day on top of each other, it would be four times the size of the Empire State's building. That's a lot of sausage. Since 1955, they've served 1,359,881,000 orders of grits. Y'all don't even know what grits are up north. I've been in the South my whole life, and I'll be honest, I don't know what they are either. I just know that they don't, they don't serve a grit. Like, you have, they're grits. They come in community, always, right? You, you, can't, you can't get one of them. But I learned something this week about Waffle House I didn't know. Um, I was reading up about uh, Hurricane Dorian. And, uh, man, prayers, right, for everybody that have been impacted by that storm, as, as thousands have. But one of the interesting things in this article that I never knew is that FEMA has an unofficial Waffle House index. This is true. I read this in USA Today um, that they use after a storm to kind of measure how quickly a community might bounce back. So this is the Waffle House index that they unofficially use. Green means Waffle House is serving a full menu and electricity is on. This is good news. They feel like the community rebound very quickly. Yellow, Waffle House is serving a limited menu, may be low on food supplies, and is likely using an electrical generator. Right? They, this means, all right, our presence is definitely needed and we may be there for a while. Red, Waffle House is closed. It's time to panic. All right? And this is their unofficial Waffle House index that they kind of follow because they, they know, like, if, if a Waffle House is closed, they're, it's bad. Right. It's interesting. Uh, they said even with a hurricane uh, five, like level five hurricane, um, that is very rare that a Waffle House will ever completely close, which then, you know, begs the question, how does a restaurant chain with 2,000 restaurants in 25 states stay open when almost everything else evacuates and or completely shuts down? And it really goes back to the way that they prepare and the purpose that they have. It's an interesting quote. This is from Pat Warner, uh, who's with Waffle House. I actually saw him on the news a couple times this week. He said, we have the reputation that we're going to be open quickly. First responders and the National Guard will reach out to us, and we're very happy to be open for them. But the real reason it goes back to is our culture, is for our customers. We're here 24-7, 365, so our customers are used to being there, and we want to get open as quickly as possible after a storm. It's a system that we have honed and are constantly tweaking with each passing storm. So they actually have a system. They have a storm center, Waffle House does where they get prepared in advance and they send jump groups down to where a storm is going to hit so they can rotate and have enough staff people and people that that's their normal Waffle House where they work or serve can go home and be with their families. And like they have like this unbelievable system for taking care of a community and taking care of people post a storm. And it seems to make a real difference. This is a guy named Daniel Hahn, who's a director of a school system down in Florida. 
He said, Waffle House opening its doors after a storm, cooking up plates of smothered hash browns and buttery waffles is more than just a symbol of economic recovery. It means the community has hope. It means that the power is most likely on in that particular area. It means that you have a place to eat, which is always good for first responders and locals. It means things might actually be all right. It's like the sunrise after the storm. I read that and I was like, yeah, give Waffle House a hand. It's the first time ever that Waffle House has been applauded in church, but I think it's beautiful. Now, it's, it takes you back. I'm reading an article and I'm like getting emotional. I'm starting to cry. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, I've cried in a Waffle House before, but I've never <laughs> cried reading about a Waffle House. But there was something, there was something about this that like just kind of like hit me in my spirit. And this may be a stretch for some of you to understand, but I believe what Waffle House is to a storm-battered community is exactly what Northridge Church should be to storm-battered human beings after their storm. That's what we should be. And whether it's the hopeless, the lost, the broken, the confused, the depressed, the suicidal, the people who think that they've been given up on, they've been pushed to the margins of society, whoever it is, listen, why don't we be the ones why don't we be the ones to show them the love of Jesus? Why don't we remind them that it's not lights off? Why don't we tell them that anything is possible with the love and the grace of Jesus Christ? Why don't we be the ones to be the sunset after the storm? We can be that, and we can do that. It's what we're called to do, and anything less, in my opinion, is disregarding the mission and the vision the Lord has given us. And it starts certainly on the weekends where we create environments where everybody's welcome. But do you know where everyone's welcome because nobody perfect but anything's possible really gets played out? Where it really happens, where like it, it, it gets lived out is in all these other smaller communities around Northridge, right? It's the men's and women's Bible studies. It's the small groups. It's the care groups. It's the marriage classes. It's the student ministry groups. It, it's all the literally hundreds of different ministry opportunities that you have here at Northridge where you take a step of faith and you walk into a community and you discover that everyone is welcome because nobody's perfect, but also anything is possible. It's in those smaller environments where the love of Jesus begins to break down those walls and the truth of Jesus right? Helps you come to grips with reality and the grace of Jesus reminds you that there is hope. No matter how big your storm has been in your life, there is hope. Anything's possible. I want to show you uh, a story of a young woman here in our church at Northridge. Her name is Vicki, and I want you to just see how her life was impacted because she took a step of faith to be a part of a group. Watch this. Being in group changed my life, um, but it did also change my dad's. Well, my perception of God, I, I struggled. Our heavenly father, right? But my earthly father, I put that image on my heavenly father. My dad, he wasn't proud of his life. He was a gambler. 
and it took away from his family. Well, my first experience with group, I walked in afraid. I sat and it was my turn to talk in front of the group and I cried. My life's uh, been a lot of hurt. <laughs> One of my hangups is I'm not enough. And so being in this group, of course, I'm in a room full of people that have all this amazing knowledge of the Bible and I'm just this baby coming in. I learned though, I learned that I was enough. Um, so in the end, my dad ended up getting dementia. I was one of his main caretakers. Dementia's, it's awful, but every once in a while we would get dad, you know, dad would be back. I didn't get to experience what it was like to hold my dad's hand for the first time until just that last year. Then I got to see what it was like to feel my dad actually hug me. We ended up getting on the subject he brought up um, about heaven and hell. And we asked him if he would like us to pray and if he would take the Lord as his savior. And, oh, well, maybe when I get feeling better, he said, because of the life he led, he didn't feel he was worthy. We told the group about it, we prayed, and we had another opportunity, and uh, he ended up accepting the Lord, and uh, we got to pray with him, and well, the end of the story is he's in heaven. We'll get to be with him again. There's always hope, and it's not too late. You know, I do feel that being in that group help not only with prayers, but just the strength to go in and bring it up again when he was there. Being in a group will change your life. And it's been an amazing journey. Whew. See, I'm telling you, anything's possible. It's not some kind of crazy preacher talk. Like this stuff really happens. And I've watched that video many, many times. But you know what's so powerful to me is watching you watch that video and watching how emotional a lot of you get. You know why I think, I just thought about this in the last service, why it is that that makes us so emotional. It, it, maybe it is because there's a part of her story that you identify with, maybe, but probably not for the vast majority of you. For the vast majority of you, what made you emotional in that moment was not only the power and the idea of anything's possible, but it was also her vulnerability. There's something really power about being vulnerable, isn't there? That's why in AA, I know I've been talking a lot about AA today, but that's why in AA there's the unofficial 13th step, which is thou shalt not really date anybody in this group, because a lot of times for the first time people are experiencing true vulnerability and they're being vulnerable and somebody else in that group is being vulnerable. And when somebody is completely vulnerable, man, 
there's this unbelievable attraction. Why? Because we are all longing for that. Authenticity is the cry of all, but it's the game of few. And so when somebody is brave enough to step into an environment and be honest and real and open about what they're struggling with, about whether it has to do with their father, whether it has to do with their marriage, whether it has to do with their life or their finances, something beautiful happens. And I want to encourage you guys, we've been doing this for weeks now, of saying, take your next step, whatever your next step is. And I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I think you do. Take the next step and step into an environment where what you'll discover is you are welcome. Because everybody in that environment understands that nobody's perfect. But they also believe deep down in their heart that anything's possible. And some of you need that desperately right now. If you're ready to take that step, it's real simple. We've been telling you all about it. All you have to do is text the way to 313131. Or you can just go to northridgechurch.com backslash the way. Another great way, and don't put this off, just walk straight out into the lobby. I'm going to be back there. There'll be some other pastors that are back there. We would love to personally help you take your next step. We've been watching this happen all weekend, and it is so beautiful watching people take that step of faith to enter into a community where they will be welcome because everybody understands that nobody's perfect, and yet we all believe that anything's possible. It is. It's possible for you. Man, we love you. We love being beside you on this journey. We've been honored uh, that you've been here today. Don't forget, Pastor Brad is back next week. We'll see you out in the lobby, okay? God bless. <laughs>